Welcome to Diverse City Church Sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Ray. The scripture text that I've been teaching from is Matthew chapter 6, 22 and 23. And I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It'll help you really understand today's message. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, it says, Your eye is the lamp that provides light to your body. Again, your eye is the lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. I've been saying to you week in and week out that your eyes is the lamp to your body. And even though there may not be lights on in the building, there may be electricity to the building. And just because the electricity is to your building or to the house don't mean the lights are on. And and I say that to say a light illuminates your home and your eyes illuminate your body. And, And depending on our eyesight depends on if the light's on or not. The eye of our bodies is the lamp, excuse me, the eye is the lamp to our body. And we either allow into our bodies light or darkness. If our eye is healthy, we are full of light. But if our eyes are unhealthy, we are full of darkness. Maybe you enjoy theology. I would encourage you to go back if you do and hear week one. It says in the King James Version, if thine eye is single... Your whole body will be full of lights. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. Here it says the eye, if it's single, you'll be full of light. And if your eye is evil, you'll be full of darkness. And I really like the King James Version the best because it says single. If we want God to fill us with light, we need to have a singular focus with our minds, our hearts, We need to be focused on the Lord. As the scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus. When our eyes are on the Lord and his will for our lives, we have light. But the moment we waver and we begin to look at other things, we become scatterbrained. We look at Jesus a little bit, work a little bit, money a little bit, finances a little bit, our budget a little bit, women a little bit, men a little bit, sex a little bit. Well, we have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but Jesus, we say, is the center. We can say Jesus is the center all we want, but if we're not looking at Jesus, our bodies will be full of darkness. Depending on what we look at determines what's inside of us. We cannot be scatterbrained and expect God to fill us with light. We cannot have our mind focused on eight different things and expect to have peace inside of us. If you want peace of God in the midst of a storm, you need to look at God and not the storm. But the moment you decide to take your eyes off of God and put your eyes on the storm is the moment the storm goes inside of you. Amen. See, when our eyes are not focused on the things of God, it causes us to be in a dark place. The enemy knows that it affects us when we focus on things outside of God. That is why... He is doing his absolute best to constantly make us or encourage us to focus on everything else but God. Isn't it amazing that it is so hard to keep your focus on God? I'll be the first one to tell you that I get on my knees to pray. And and I know that I'm going to talk about the Lord and talk to the Lord and pray about the Lord. And my mind's going to be on the Lord. And while I'm trying to pray, I can't keep my mind on God. Is it just me? No. See, I'm just one of the ones that's okay talking about it. See, it's like you're set up to have a great day and to be successful and keep your mind focused on God. But it's like it never fails. It's so difficult to keep our eyes singular. It's so hard to keep our minds focused. It's so hard to keep our hearts steadfast. And then we wonder, why do I feel so chaotic internally? It's because your focus is wrong externally. The only thing that the enemy can do to you and I, family, is replay your past and attempt to deceive what's going to happen in your future. The devil has no control over your future. 
God is in control of our future. But the enemy can only mess us up and not allow us to accomplish the God future if we start not seeing the God future. So the enemy will get you so discouraged that you start seeing everything through a tainted glass. You begin to view your future through the lies of the enemy. And then your future ends up being dim. But the reason your future's dim is because your eyes were dim. When your eyes are dim, you are dim. And when you are dim, you can't have a bright future. Don't work. See, this is why the enemy wants to get inside of your head. He wants to distort the truth and make you see and believe a lie. Amen. See, it's what I like to call the distortion mirror. I gave this analogy probably six years ago about a distortion mirror. And, and, and you know, a distortion mirror is fun. It's got its ups, it's got its downs, and uh, let me tell you what a distortion mirror is. Y'all know what a distortion mirror is? Some of you do, maybe not by name. I remember one time Lorinda and I, that's my beautiful wife, that I'm very glad to have back. She left me for about five days. She didn't leave me, leave me like, you know, your wifey let you, but she she left me for a season. And uh, I was miserable. I texted her about three days in, and I said, baby, I have no life without you. And she says, why? And I said, well, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit home and be miserable. And uh, all jokes aside, uh, I kind of did a little bit, but really I didn't do a whole lot. I realized how much of a loser I was outside of having my wife. Um, But anyway, all that to say, Lorinda, my wife, and I went to a pastor's conference, and we're in Branson, and we had some free time. We're like, what are we going to do? So we started driving up Branson. We're like, all right, we're going to do something fun. And we stopped at the mirror maze. Y'all ever been to a mirror maze? I know it's supposed to be kids doing it, but we did it. I was told today I look 12 because I shaved everything, so whatever. Um, Andrew asked me, he says, was it on purpose or a mistake? <laughs> Men knows what that means, right? And I'm like, yeah, it was a mistake. <laughs> so, uh, hey, here it is. But it worked out in my favor. Let me tell you all a little secret. My wife started rubbing it last night, my face. She says, I like this. And she's like... Like a cat, you know, just kind of, it's like, it's so soft. And I said, if you like it that much, I keep it clean all the time, baby. <laughs> so, uh, back to the story. We were driving through Branson and we saw the distortion mirror maze or the mirror maze. And we decided that we were going to go into this maze and we go inside of there and there's all of these mirrors. So you're like, okay, can I go this way? Boop. Oh, can't go that way. I thought I could, but I couldn't. Can I go this way? And you're, you know, you're trying to get through. But there was a really fun part. It was like the wacky mirrors. And the wacky mirrors are what we call, or I want to call, the distortion mirrors and a distortion mirror is curvy and it may be curvy down there at the bottom it may be curvy up at the top it may be a lot more curvy in the middle and then less at the bottom and depending on the type of mirror and where it's curvy depends or what the depiction is of what you look like in the mirror so some mirrors you stand by and you're like dang I got long legs look at that what you playing? You know, then sometimes you look, you can't say that word anymore. It's bad. You look like um, a little person. You look like a little person and you're real little and you're like, oh man, look at me. I look all stubby. And then other ones, you look real wide. Then some, you look real skinny. Like, oh yeah, baby, I'm skinny. I ain't never been this skinny. Right? That's a distortion mirror. And, and there's all these different distortion mirrors, and you look in them, and what it's doing is it is bending the mirror, which in turn is bending or distorting the truth. It is changing the perception of you, and it makes you look different than you really are. It changes your look. It changes your identity. See, the enemy wants you to see yourself different than the way God sees you. He doesn't want you to see yourself in his mirror, in God's mirror, which is the word of God. He don't want you to see yourself based off the word of God. 
He wants you to see yourself based through his mirror. Let me tell you what his mirror is. His mirror is your past. His mirror is your problems. His mirror is your mistakes. His mirror is your critics. His mirror is your finances. His mirror is your education. And he wants you to view yourself through his distorted mirror. And hear God speaking to you, telling you who you are, but you can't see who you are because you're constantly viewing what you look like based off problems, past, education, your critics, your finances, and your positions. See, the enemy doesn't want you to see who you really are. Therefore, he keeps replaying over and over what you have done, what others have said, and he wants to tell you over and over what problems lie ahead. Because if he keeps telling you what lies ahead, you're focused on what's there as opposed to who God is and where he's got you to already. If you keep focusing on the critics, you're not focused on the Lord and what he has said. You're focused on the negative people who have criticized you. If you're not careful, you'll keep focusing on CNN, Fox News. You'll keep thinking about what the political party on this side is saying, what that side is saying. And your mind will be so warped and hijacked by what you keep watching and seeing and reading that you will really begin to think that your future is the hell in a handbasket because Fox News and CNN told you. We need to be careful because the enemy is very manipulative and his whole job is to give you the most jacked up, distorted mirror with the most waves he can. That every time you look through it and see yourself, your future looks so dim, you yourself feel so helpless and God is saying if he would only believe me at my word. Can I tell you about a man named Moses? Moses, they say, spoke probably five languages. Five. Five. I can't speak one great. Sometimes I tell folk I speak two. Abonics and hillbilly. And I, I can do both really well, believe it or not, depending on who I'm around. I, I, can, I can go with the best of them. You know, take me to the hood. If I got to get hood, I'll get hood. I mean, I still got Jesus. I can go hunting with some old country folk out in Cuba, Missouri, and I fit right in like one of them. So I speak two languages, but Moses spoke five, four, five, six languages. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses had the best education known to man. He grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. His grandfather was Pharaoh. This means that his education was the best. Very, very brilliant man. Obviously, look at the, uh, the writings he wrote in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses was an amazingly brilliant, smart man. Educated. Private school. But yet when God called him, he says, Lord, please don't send me. Send anybody else but me. And God says, what do you mean? I want to send you. And he says, you can't send me. I can't speak well. Who told you you can't speak well? Well, well, well when, when I was back in Egypt, I was told that, that I just didn't speak quite, quite, as, quite as good as the others did. He says, but who's in control of your mouth? Are you going to believe the distortion? Are you going to believe me? And he says, God, I know that you're in control of the mouth and that you can make people who can't speak speak and you can raise the dead and you can heal the blind. But God, please send anybody else with me. And the Bible says that God burned with anger and sent Aaron along with Moses to be his spokesman. But God never wanted it. Because of Moses having a distorted picture of who he was, he did not completely fulfill the purpose and promise of God. 
he made him very angry. And I thought to myself, wonder how many of my brothers and sisters have been called to do something great, but because they keep believing the lies and all of the critics and all of the things that's been told about them, that they cannot become what God has told them they can become. See, the enemy doesn't want you to see yourself the way you really are, the way God has made you. He wants you to believe the lie. I believe that God is trying to change somebody's perspective, perception of yourself this morning. Matter of fact, I believe today the purpose of this message is to challenge you to think differently about yourself. This isn't some feel-good sermon that is going to be on TBN and tell you how awesome you are and how you can do everything and you're going to make a million dollars and be out of debt. But what this message is, this is a real message talking about the fact that we were made in the image of God and all of the jacked up stuff that we've done and the labels we've got and the stereotypes we've been thrown in and the generalizations that we have on our life is not true. And it is time for us to take back our rightful identity and stop living in the eyes of a distortion mirror. The problem isn't that other people do not believe in you. The problem is, is you don't believe in yourself. Can I tell you that it feels real good and it's very encouraging when people believe in me. But I want you to know something. Even when they don't, I believe in myself. I don't need other people to believe in me. I don't need somebody else to pat me on the back to tell me I did a good job. I did that. I stopped doing that a long time ago. I realized that I wasn't in this to get pats on the back. I didn't need to measure the success on a sermon based off how many people came to the altar. I didn't need people to say, oh, you did a great job and give me a high five. Because I'm not in this to get accolades and recognition from people. But somewhere along the line, most of us lose sight of why we're really supposed to be doing this. And we're looking for others to pat us on the back and keep us moving forward. But I want you to know that that's not what God wants from us. We shouldn't need other people's opinion to confirm what God already said about us. I need to say that again. We don't need other people's opinion to confirm what God has already said about us. If you are brilliant, smart, wonderful, beautiful, you don't need nobody to tell you because you already know. See, most of the time we're looking for other people to co-sign what God has already said. We don't need a co-signer. We don't need somebody to come along and say, oh, you're an amazing person and co-sign. God has already said it and that's all I need. But guess what? You don't always have co-signers around you. You would like to have them. We don't like to have them. But we don't always have them around us. See, sometimes we go through seasons where it feels like we're all alone. There's no one around us at all to co-sign and tell us good job. We have to stop depending on others to validate us because there will not always be people around to validate us. We should not be depressed because people beat us up and we should not become arrogant because people build us up. We should not allow what people say, whether good or bad, to affect who we are. My personal view of who I am is not based off of those negative words or those positive words. It's based off God's word and that's it. I told someone just the other day in counseling, we were meeting and they told me that they struggled with insecurity and depression and that they were always looking for other people to validate them and tell them good things about them. And if they didn't get it, they began to beat themselves up and they talked about how someone would say something negative about them and they would just go into depression. And I said, you need to be careful. Because if you are allowing someone to take you into depression, that means you feel bad about yourself, right? Yes, I do. So you feel bad about yourself. Why? Because of what they said. So you feel bad about yourself because of what they said? Yes, sir. I said, so here's what's going to happen. If you start losing weight, if you start going to the gym, 
If you get yourself a good-looking man or woman, you get yourself a great old job, you get yourself a position of great influence, now people's going to start talking about how awesome you are. And if this one over here was able to send you into depression, can I tell you this one over here is going to send you into pride? We need to be careful because we should not allow negative or positive words to influence who we are. Because who we are is not what, what people say, but it's based off what God said. And someone can say to me, good job, and I'll say thank you. But can I tell you, there's been just as many times where people have criticized me the moment I walked off of the last step. Oh, oh I think you said something out of context, Pastor. Oh, why didn't you come do this, Pastor? Why, why didn't you do this? And, and look, I have to make sure that I don't allow praise to puff me and criticism to kill me. And we need to be careful as God's people to know who we are. Because if you don't know who you are, you will depend on other people to tell you. That means... You can only be as good or feel as good as what the last person said to you. That means if you're married to someone who's a jerk, you're going to feel miserable. If you're married to an encourager, you're going to feel wonderful. But the problem is, is what if that person who's an encourager is scared to tell you the truth? Then what? According to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says it's better for us to be criticized by the wise than praised by a fool. The problem is, is we're looking for people to fulfill us and tell us who we are and we should not find identity. We shouldn't find self-worth. We shouldn't find security in what others have to tell us. Now, what this means as Christians is it doesn't mean you can go to your spouse or your friends or people at church and say, See, I knew I didn't ever have to praise you. Because that's not true. The Bible says that we are to praise and honor and give glory and rec- recognition to people. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed, Man, you did an awesome job. You're awesome. But there's another mandate as Christians. If we are not recipients of praise, we don't allow that to stop us. And if we are recipients of criticism, we don't allow that to stop us either. We keep going in both cases. See, the truth is, is the only person we need to get validation from is God. And the only person that we need to co-sign is Jesus. And if God has given us validation from his word and Jesus has co-signed it by dying on Calvary's cross, I don't know why in the world we keep looking for other people to tell us stuff about who we are. We don't need nobody else to tell us anything about who we are or are not. Your future is not dependent on others' perceptions. Matter of fact, I'll say it like this. Your future is not dependent on others' opinions. Other people's opinions of you does not determine where you'll end up. Your future will be determined based off your own opinion. You hear that? A lot of times we get get all jacked up. I was going to say something. I don't know. Well, we mean, yeah, was whatever. Somewhere along the lines, at one point in my life, I heard people say, you get your panties in a knot. Anybody ever heard that before? Is that, I don't know if that's a Christian cliche or not, but sounds real good right now. Inspired by the Spirit, maybe not, I don't know, but it sounds pretty good. And, and, and what happens when, when, when you hear that word is, is we allow things to get us all twisted up and jacked up and messed up. And, and we really miss the whole concept of what's happening. People are going to come and go. We're going to have constituents that come in our lives and work with us for a season and constituents that go. We're going to have people, seasonal friends as they call them. We, we have acquaintances. We have people we work with. And they're going to come and go. It's going to be a constant come and go. This is life. It's, this, it's, it's life. And we can't allow people who are coming and going in and out, up and down, or family or friends or anyone else's opinions to stop us. 
As long as you have a healthy opinion about yourself, it doesn't matter what other people's opinions are about you. Can I tell you that Jesus knew who he was? He knew that he was the son of God. He knew that he was the Messiah. Jesus knew that he was the Christ. And he did not need other people to co-sign for him. Matter of fact, no one did. Peter betrayed him. Or Peter lied on him. Judas betrayed him. Everyone ran away from him. They had him crucified, his own people. The Roman officials tried to stop it, but then they put their hands up too. I mean, he was left all alone and completely rejected. And even though no one was there to co-sign and say, this dude is it, he's legit. It didn't stop him. He didn't need other people to co-sign for who he was. We need to know who we are. The most important opinion is God's. And that should be the only opinion that really matters to us. Can I add? It is very exhausting trying to change people's opinions about us. I, I need that, that one needs to be said again. It is exhausting trying to change people's opinions about us. Exhausting. Exhausting. I said on Facebook uh, a few days ago that once someone has an opinion about you or a perception about you, it's hard to change. That's why they say first impressions are key because you can make or break the deal on the first time. And unfortunately, people continue to perceive or see or have an opinion on you based off what they saw you do prior. Stinks. It's real. So, you mess up, you blow it, people's got a bad opinion about you, you're always late, you're always mean, you're a jerk, you never come on time, you don't take care of your kids, you're lazy, whatever, whatever. That's their opinion of you. You're a drug addict, you're an alcoholic, can't trust you with anything. This is their opinion about you. The worst thing you can do is run around to all these negative people and overexert yourself trying to prove to them, this isn't who I am. I've changed. I'm different. This is how I am. This is how I am. No, I'm really like this. I'm really like this. Because what happens is they become your idol. It's not about them. It's about the Lord. All you need to do is continue to just grow in him. Just grow in him. You will exalt and kill yourself if you keep worrying more about others' opinions than God's word. See, I would rather be rejected for who I am than accepted for being someone I'm not. Let me say that again. I would rather be rejected for who I am then be accepted for someone. I'm, I'm so tired. I was tired. I remember being about 30 years old and I just got to the place in my life that I was so tired trying to appeal and please and smooth and fit in the box of what everybody else wanted me to be. And it was exhausting because the only way I felt I got acceptance was by being someone that I wasn't. And God says, I've got a breakthrough for you, Ray. All I need you to do is pull out a pen and a, and a notebook and start writing down who you are. And I don't mean right now. I want you to write down who you were at 15, what you enjoy to do, the things that make you laugh, what's your hobbies, what's your personality. And I began to write it down and I looked at the list of who I was and who I had become. And God says, you robbed yourself and me. You have become someone you're not to fit in. I can tell you seven years later that I would rather be rejected for who I am than accepted to fit in. I don't want to be accepted and fit in to be someone I'm not. I don't want to do it no more.
Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So essentially, what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi is he says, I want you to have the mind of Jesus. And then he says, now let me tell you the attributes. He said, he came in the form of God. But he made himself of no reputation. That's important. He came in the form of God, but he made himself of no reputation. Even though he was God and could be considered equal to God, even though he was Emmanuel, meaning God in flesh, even though he's John 1 and the 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even though he had all power and authority, and he left heaven to come to earth, he never told people, I'm God. Even though he left heaven and came to earth to show the way, he never made his reputation important. It wasn't about conveying a message and getting his point across. Hey guys, I want you to know who I am. Instead, it says he took the form of a servant coming in the likeness of men. When I read that scripture, the whole thing that I'm thinking about is Jesus did not care about his reputation. He was God that was manifested in the flesh. But many people didn't know it, didn't see it, didn't see it, didn't believe it, and crucified him for it. And do you know that the scripture says that he was led like a lamb to be slaughtered? He didn't open his mouth. He didn't defend his case. He didn't get his point across. And that's what we do so many times. People are saying stuff like, oh, they're such a jerk. They're such a this. They're such a that. So we want to go fix everything. Well, I know you think I'm a jerk. And I know you think that I don't believe in this. And I know you think that I did this. And I know you think I'm a bad mom. And I know you think I'm a bad dad. But can I fix everything and tell you what I really meant and how it really goes? And, and what happens if we're not careful is we're more interested in protecting our own image. This is an image thing. I'm not talking about if you have a problem with your brother that you go and fix the problem. I'm talking about it is not our responsibility to go around everywhere we go trying to preserve our image because we're so concerned about other people's opinions. Jesus didn't care what other people thought. He says, bro, I came from heaven to earth to show the way. And I'm God, but yet I'm becoming a servant. You should be serving me, but yet I'm washing your feet. You should call me king, but yet they're rejecting me. And the king is allowing me to be hung on the cross of Calvary. But I don't need to protect my rep and tell you who I am. I know who I am. Do you know when you don't know who you are, you'll run around everywhere trying to fix every opinion? But once you discover who you are, you don't care what anybody else thinks. Because it doesn't matter what they think because you know. But if you don't know, you'll fix everybody else's opinions because their opinions tell you what you know about yourself. We shouldn't look for other opinions to confirm or validate. Look what it says in John 18, verse 19. So now we are at the place. Jesus has had the upper room experience with his disciples. They they broke bread together. They had the Passover meal. And now uh, he's been betrayed by Judas. He's, He's been led with the Jews to stand in front of the high priest. And then in a moment, he's going to go to Pilate. And here's what happens in John 18. It says that the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me, Jesus replied. Now, I need you to get what's happening here. So Jesus had been betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver and a kiss. He was, he was put in chains and led to the high priest. He was standing before them being accused of being a vicious man causing chaos and confusion. And the high priest asked Jesus a question and says, I want you to tell me about your disciples and about your doctrine because I heard that you're a cult. 
I heard that you're trying to rebel against us and rebel against the Roman Empire. I heard that you have some sort of great Kool-Aid that you're getting everybody to drink and, and you're preaching some false doctrine and you're leading many people away. I heard that you're taking up offerings and building big houses. I've heard that you got a nice swimming pool in your backyard and you live in a gated community. I heard that your church is growing real big and you're taking all the money to yourself. I heard that maybe you're hooking up with some of your disciples on the side. I heard that you're preaching some stuff that's not really according to our doctrine. I heard. And Jesus at that time, here's what we would have done. No, that's not really true because I believe. And and you know, this much comes in and this much money goes out. And actually my house was given to me and and the pool was a blessing from this one. And and this happened here. And we, we immediately go into defending our case, don't we? But not Jesus. Jesus says, why do you ask me? He says, why don't you go ask people who've been with me? Just go ask them. See, Jesus realized in this moment that it wasn't worth his time or energy to try to convince people who already had a negative perception to change it and give them a better one. Jesus says, I don't have time to be wasting my breath on changing your opinion on who I am. And this is a setup from the devil. And I know you don't believe me and I can tell you whatever I want to tell you, but you still won't believe me. And I'm not going to give in to what you've got to say. If you want to find out who I am and you're serious, Go ask my boys. Go ask my church family. Go ask my wife. I'm not going to sit here and entertain what you've got to say. I think we need to learn a valuable lesson. When you know who you are and someone comes against you, you can simply say, go talk to my boys. I don't need to sit here and try to sway and and, and change the opinion that you have about me. It's obviously negative. You're obviously coming here with a jacked up vision. And truth be told is I could tell you everything through a different light. But more likely than not, you'll still leave thinking the same thing. If you already think I'm a liar and I tell you my life story, won't you still think I'm a liar and I just lied about the story? If you want to go who I am, go to my church this Sunday. If you really want to know who I am, go find out. See, if people really want to know who you are, they'll find out the truth about you. But people who hate you because of one perception or one instant or one story or one gossiper, ain't nobody got time for that. We're going to waste a whole lot of time and energy and lose focus of what God's trying to do because we're trying to fix up everything and clean up every opinion and change their perception. Honey, you don't believe in me? I don't care because I've got a life to live, a wife to to take care of, four kids to raise, a church to pastor. I don't have time to entertain that criticism, that criticism, or that criticism. Just go ask my boys. Then he says in chapter 18, verse 29, it says that after that, he was led by the high priest and the Jewish officials to Pilate. Now, Pilate is a Roman official, the governor, and he's standing there with Jesus. And Pilate then went out to them and said to them, what accusation, some versions say charges, Do you bring against this man, Jesus? What is it? Why are you bringing him to me? You're telling me that you want us to crucify him. You want us to bring him before the judge. You want want court to be held. You want the jury to come right now and us to make a decision. And you want him to be guilty and killed. And all I want to know is what accusation, what charges do you have against him? Look what they say. They answered him and said, if he were not an evildoer, he, we would not have delivered him to you. That was their response. If he wasn't evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. It's like, you know how people ask, this this is a politician answer. 
They ask you one thing and you like go around the question and say a whole lot of words and it sounds real good. But after you're done, you're like, what did he just say? It sounded good, but I'm lost. That's what's happening here. They're like, well, what accusations do you have? Well, what, what is the charges you have against this man? And they say, well, look, if he wasn't evil, we wouldn't have brought him here. Duh. Really? I'm just asking, why is he evil? Why? Here's what I thought about. Some of y'all ain't going to like this. You know, there's, there's people you watch on TV and you really don't like them. But you don't know why. There's preachers. They preach great messages. But you don't like them. And you don't know why. Well, because they make too much money. Is that wrong? Well, not really. So why don't you like them? I don't know. Because they got, they, I mean, I mean, they, you shouldn't be able to do that, Pastor. I mean, I mean, you're different. I know because I'm one of your boys. What if the one you're criticizing has boys? If you want to know who they are, don't view them off what you see on television, in billboards, in one-time experiences. Go and ask their boys. And all they did, they never spent time. They didn't ask the boys, the 12. They didn't talk to the inner three. They didn't talk to the 70. They made presumptions. They assumed. They formed opinions based off of commercials and emails and billboards and gossip and hearsay. And now they're asked the question, what did he do? And essentially they said, I don't know. We just... Don't like him. How many of y'all know people that you don't like, but if you really are honest, you don't know why? Ooh, that's some good stuff right there, bro. I'm about to run around this church. I got the, these, these are stretchy jeans. I can run. Yes, I can. Matter of fact, they're so stretchy. When you go like this, you're like, boom, and take off like a roadrunner. I got the Roadrunner jeans. Oh, yes. New word. Roadrunner jeans, baby. That's what they are from now on. Yes. Hashtag Roadrunner jeans. Boom. And then, upon the question, I don't know who he is. I don't really know. What what I'm thinking about is the fact that many people will have negative opinions about you. And while you are allowing it to affect you internally, mess up your morale, making you see yourself as you shouldn't, you begin to think of your future more dim, all because of negative opinions. And the truth is, most people who have negative opinions don't even have good reasons why they have negative opinions. Most negative opinions are not even valid. Well, I don't like him because I heard a four-minute uh, uh, thing that he talked about online about the X, Y, and Z. Really? So you don't like him? Well, I don't like him because he's a Democrat. Well, I don't like him because he was like, that's it? That's all you got? So now, here's what we're doing. Here's what you got to catch. People can have very negative opinions about you, but they don't even know why, right? And now you are allowing their opinions that they don't even know why they have to affect you. So now you don't become what God has for you because you're believing an opinion of someone else that they don't even know why they have. So now we have been deceived in becoming what God has for us here because people have been deceived in thinking something negative about you here. But if they don't even know why, why are we allowing it to affect us so deeply? You would not believe how many times I sit down with people and I say, I know you're mad at me. Can you just explain it to me? And usually it's feeling based. I feel like you did this. I felt like this happened. And I'm like, I understand and feelings are valid, but I need facts. Give me facts. Did I portray you? Did I lie to you? Did I hurt you? Did I manipulate you? I need facts. 
See, but here's what, here's what happens a lot of times. People take emotions and try to make it facts. And then they make opinions about you that are supposed to be factual, but it's emotionalism. So now you're a bad person because you're a jerk because they were hurt, but you were hurt because they were hurt because they were hurt because something you didn't know about. So now everybody's hurt, everybody's messed up, and at the end, you're a jerk. But here's the problem. Is it factual or emotionalism? Because it's a big difference. If you're a jerk, you're a jerk. But if it was just a misunderstanding, don't label them. Because really, honestly, boy, I tell you what, it spreads. If Sister Sharon says to somebody else, Pastor Ray's a jerk, guess what? Not only does she think I'm a jerk, they think I'm a jerk. This perception is so powerful and we need to be careful because not only do you have the ability to to spread your perception of others, you also weaken the people. We need to be careful. The next thing I want you to see in John 19, it says, but Jesus gave no answer. Okay, so now Jesus is with Pilate. He gave no answer. Okay, so he's like, hey, bro, look, 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 look this is your last chance, man. Like, like G- Judas kissed you. He, 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 he said, this is the man. He led you over to those of Jewish officials, and they asked you to, to plead your case. You didn't. They brought you to me, and I said to them, What's the accusation? They didn't have an answer. I think that you're really not even guilty. He says, all I need you to know, excuse me, all I need to know is what's going on here. Why are all those people out there wanting to kill you? You're inside of here sitting with me and I just need to know what in the world is going on. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah? Why do they hate you? Why do they want to kill you? And it says, but Jesus gave no answer. Pilate said, why don't you talk to me? Don't you realize that? Look, somebody's about to get a breakthrough right here. Father, I pray breakthrough right now. Somebody's about to get a breakthrough. Father, I pray breakthrough right now. Breakthrough right now. It says, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Look, look, I need need you to get this. This is Jesus says, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given from my father above. Now, now look, look, we need to go back and see what's happening here. So Jesus is standing there. He failed the test with his Jewish uh, family and now he's brought before the Roman officials and he's standing there with the governor, Pilate and Pilate's asking him, he's saying, man, here's your chance to plead your case. I think you're innocent. They didn't have any witnesses. They couldn't talk bad about you. You say you're a king. You say you're nice. You say you're God-fearing. You say you love people. You say you got great character. You say you're a great man of God. You say you're here about your father's business. You're saying all these wonderful things about yourself and that's what I'm hearing from some but everybody else is saying you're a man. So what I need you to do is defend yourself. I need you to tell me right now, start defending yourself and change my opinion. That's what he said. I want you to change my opinion because I have the ability to crucify you. Change my opinion. Change my perception about you. See, Jesus knew that he couldn't change the perception. Why don't you answer? Why don't you talk to me? Don't you realize I have the power to crucify you? And here's what Jesus realized. Jesus realized that this man had no power at all. Did you hear that? See, this man thought he was a governor. And he thought, if my opinion changes, I can save him. See, he thought, if my perception changes, I can save him. But Jesus over here said, my God's in control of everything. My God put you in office. The scripture declared 4,000 years ago that I was to die on the Passover. The scripture said 4,000 years ago that I would resurrect on the first fruits. The scripture said 4,000 years ago that 50 days after the first fruit, the Holy Spirit would come through the day of Pentecost. This day is etched. 
etched in stone and there's nothing that you can do, Pilate, to change it. I don't need to sway you into believing something different about me because God's in control to begin with. And here's the powerful thing you need to get about this. The enemy thinks that people's opinions are what releases and catapults you forward. That's what this is saying. If my opinion is changed about you, then I can help you. And Jesus says, I don't care what you think about me. Because the Bible is very clear that all this must happen. Why do I say that to you? I say that to you because I think a lot of times we as people are trying to change and manipulate the opinions of others. And we believe that if we can change their opinions, our lives will get better. If we can change the way they perceive us, our future will look brighter. And Jesus had just as wonderful of a future with or without the opinion of a governor named Pilate. Now the enemy wants you to believe that you need other people's opinions in order to accelerate and soar. But can I tell you the only opinion you need is God's. It's all you need. I don't know, but me, this is me. If I'm standing there and I know sooner or later I'm going to die and it's going to be on a Passover and a Passover Passover happens every year. And I I mean, I'm going to be standing and I'm thinking, dang, he told me if I just tell him who I am, I can live another year. That's pretty tight. There was a girl that kind of looked good too. I'm trying to get married to Lorinda. Look, can I get like one more year? You know, that's God. You know, this is God. Yeah, let me tell you all about me. Let me defend my case to you because I want you to change your opinion about me because I know that your opinion is what's holding me up. No, 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 that's not true. People's opinions don't hold you up. Your own opinions hold you up. People's perception about you doesn't hold you up. Your own perception holds you up. Negative words that people speak about you doesn't hold you up. It's the negative words you speak about yourself that holds you up. The only thing that's in your way of accomplishing great things for God is you. People can't get in your way. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Do you know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? We can do anything. But yet somewhere along the line, we had this jacked up, skewed idea that we can only go as far as people believe in us. I don't need you to believe in me. My barber told me just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm about to close right with this. My barber said to me, I was, I, uh, I, I, oh, matter of fact, this will be funny for my friends from who, uh, Angie and Dana. They'll like this story. So we, I went to a funeral for Angie and Dana, and, um, and when we were at the funeral, I met some of her wonderful family, and the one guy was a judge. Was he? No, he's a prosecuting attorney. And uh, we went out to dinner, and we were sitting there for about four hours eating dinner, and I was in... Uh, you know, when I was about 15 to 20, I had some really good run-ins with prosecuting attorneys in a little bit different form or fashion than this one. I mean, I'm used to them like going against me and cracking my head and sending me away for a couple of years, trying to lock me up in juvie. You know, that's, that's what I'm used to. And, and, and I remember the last prosecuting attorney that I uh, had coming up against me, their goal was to take me away as long as they could. And they got me for about two years. I, I pleaded out to two felonies for distribution of drugs. And I went away at 20, got out at 22, went back before the judge at 25, got my record completely taken away, got, uh, got married, pastor, blase, blase, here I am today. And now you Fast forward from 20 to 37, 36, excuse me, and um, I'm sitting there having dinner with a prosecuting attorney who was a, who is getting ready to become a judge. He's going to be the judge over the whole over the whole county. And the Lord said to me, "Tell him about yourself." And I said, "Hey, man, I got to tell you something." He says, "What do you need to tell me?" I said, "What I need to tell you is that I am a two-time felon." Now, nah, I mean, I just, let me just think about this. What's this? This middle-aged white boy from Bowling Green, Missouri. 
And, and his wife said, <laughs> you're kidding. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I said, no, I'm really not. Like, I'm for real. I think she was like tugging on his jacket underneath the thing. Like, oh my goodness, bone, honey, I cannot believe that you brought us here with this guy. He was so clean cut. He spoke so well. He gave me the biggest hug I've ever had. He's got so many likes on Facebook and he's a felon. (laughs) And I said, hey man, I just want you to know that uh, not everybody who goes through the system is trying to just use the system. I said, there are people that God brings out of the system. And I said, I'm a living testimony that God brings people out. Keep having grace. And I just, and I just ministered to him. I said, keep having grace. I mean, here I am sitting with the prosecuting attorney. I got to tell him that not everybody who's a felon's a bad guy. So then I come home and, and I'm sitting to get my hair cut and, and, uh, and come to find out my barber is from Bowling Green. And I said, yeah, I just met with the prosecuting attorney from Bowling Green. He says, oh, you did? And he named his name. And I said, oh, you know him? He says, very well. (laughs) Okay. And I said, man, next time I see him, I'll tell him I know you. He says, don't tell him you know me. He says, if you want to keep doing meals and connecting, don't tell him you know me. See, because his perception was, if I want to be a part, I need to fake the funk. But that's not mine. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you where I came from. I'm going to tell you who my barber is. I'm going to tell you who my family is. I'm going to tell you all about my life. And if you don't like it, I don't care. So we went out to eat again. We went to a Mexican restaurant. And I said to the prosecuting attorney, I said, I think you know my barber. (laughs) Uh, We haven't talked since, but (laughs) that had nothing to do with it. I know it didn't. I'm just messing. It really didn't. But we haven't talked since, but it had nothing to do with it. Um, And I say all that to say this. God has done such a work inside of me that I'm not ashamed of who he's made me and I have spent the first 30 years of my life trying to be accepted by people and man it stressed me out it made me tired being rejected man it hurts Not getting pats on the back and being praised. No one likes that. But I realized the problem was me. I knew that if I could fix inside of me, the whole issue outside of me would be fixed as well. I knew the problem wasn't people, the critics or the opinions. The problem was the opinion of myself. So I needed to reevaluate my stance and my look and my ideas of my life and who I was and get confident and competent in me. And once I realized who God had made me, who I was, I was lovable, forgivable, acceptable, valuable, and forgivable. I then was able to walk in being capable. I became so capable that even when people said that I wasn't, I knew that I was because I didn't need you to fix me. God had fixed me. He's done a work in me. And now I walk with my head up high and my chest out bold. But I'm not snobby. I'm not cocky. Not arrogant. I still know that I'm human and I can fall. But I'm okay being who I am. I can dance even though I can't dance. I play stuff I'm not good at. And I'll talk to you about my deepest secrets. Why? Because I'm human and I'm okay with my mistakes. I'm in love with God. And He's in love with me. And if you don't like who I am... It does not matter because I'm tired and exhausted from running around pleasing you, 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 and you when God said, I'm pleased just the way you are. And if God is happy, I don't need no one else to make me happy because happiness comes and goes based off what's happening. But joy is from the Lord and he told me that he loves me right where I am. So I don't need you, 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 and you to tell me 
serenity, knowing that everything's okay from now and through infinity. My Lord is in control. He's sovereign in my life. And the only one I need to get criticism from and listen to intently is those that are my wise counsel and my wife. God's done a work inside of me, and I'm not embarrassed to admit it. Who I am today is who you'll find tomorrow. I won't change if you've got money. I won't change if you're black. I won't change if you're white. I don't change if you're Hispanic. I won't change for who I'm around because who I am is who you get. And if you don't like it, then you can forget I ever existed. My God's done a work in my life. He's cultivated, he's planted, he's restored, and he's revived. I'm so alive today. I don't need a dead boy to pull me back. I'm moving forward with the Lord from now until I die. You see a smile. You see my vulnerability, my transparency, my humility, and you ask why. It's because of the God that lives inside. He's done a work in me. A work I can't explain, I can only live. A work I don't understand, but I'm grateful that He forgives. Oh God, my God, I love you so deep. I love you so long. I give you my life because I was so wrong. Oh yes, oh yes, Lord. I'm praying, Lord, that you are releasing us from the bondage of other people's opinions and setting us free. I rebuke insecurities. I come against lies. I rebuke the distortion. Oh God, I need you right now more than ever. I pray. No longer will we be so concerned about being rejected by men. But we will pursue you with all of our hearts. Father, I pray for a breakthrough. I pray that we will no longer be thirsty and hungry for people's recognition, Lord. The only perception you need is your self-perception. If you've got a God-fearing, God-perception of who you are, what your future looks like, it doesn't matter what your granny said, it doesn't matter what your parents said, it doesn't matter what your spouse said, it doesn't matter what your past looks like, it doesn't matter what your education is, it doesn't matter how much money's in your bank account, because my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Somebody needs to say, I put all my enemies behind me and I look forward. Father, have your way today. Can we sing something upbeat? Something upbeat. I don't know what it is. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I don't know. Something, whatever. Look, we're just going to close out. God is in the building. He's doing a work today. He's doing a work today. I, I just, when I wrote this message, I just started typing and my fingers just started moving and every thought that I had in my head and in my heart just went in line with the Spirit and I just typed. Typos were very few and the words just started to happen on the computer so quickly and I said, I know God is in this because I'm typing quicker than I can process in my head and it was the Holy Ghost processing through me and somebody has a victory coming today. Somebody is not concerned anymore about what people say about you and you say today is my day I'm going to be who I am and I'm ashamed of where I've come from breakthrough father breakthrough father if you're here and you say Pastor Ray this is it Week three, week three, eyes open, new perception.
Last week was lust and hate and unforgiveness. This week, it's all about you. New perception of who God has made you. If that's you, if you say, this is it. This is me. Perception. Perception. Revival. A new thing. Past goodbye. Problems goodbye. Everything I felt goodbye. No season. No season. If that's you, I need you to come. Unashamed. You can run up. You can jump up. You can dance up. You can just come. The pastor told you you couldn't. The elder told you you couldn't. They said you're no good. You've been divorced. You're dumb. You'll never make it. You're ugly. You're overweight. You're underweight. And you say, no, no, not today, devil. I won't believe the report of the devil anymore. No, no, not today. I need you to come. I need you to come. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that eyes are being opened, that perception is changing, that viewpoint is changing, that things are happening, breakthrough is coming. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, name, Father, I pray that you will move and have your way. And everyone is standing here in the name of Jesus, opinions, you don't care no more. Thank you for joining us and we hope this message blessed you. 